but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> so, so, this did, may did, be... Yeah, well, go ahead. I, I was gonna, did you see anything about that... Uh, that Gulfstream Four that blew a tire, blew a couple of tires, taking off from Teterboro earlier. I this did, week. I did, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I was kind of following Twitter at, at the at the time, and uh, a couple of things came across my feed. But the thing that really struck me was uh, later in the day when uh, the aircraft landed, landed at Stewart, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there were pick a number of video cameras watching all of this when it touched yeah, because, down. Yeah, they had because plenty of they warning. Had, they had like four hours worth of warning because yeah. it took them that long to burn off the fuel that they loaded up mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, it was a nothing burger, right? Um, because it's you know I won't say a common thing, but it's not complicated either it's you know you're going to land and you're going to land on your wheels and uh you know you're going to do it without as with with as little fuel as you can Mm -hmm. and you're going to do it it's going to be one of the best landings you ever made (laughs) yeah that's right okay yeah punchline and i i saw some blurbs in my again in my twitter feed where people were like oh that's it that was there's a there's nothing to it you know know. it's just normal landing where's the fireball and you're like yeah exactly yeah, exactly. Well, just fill me in here. So I, I basically saw the headline and maybe the lead graph. Um, it blew one or more tires during takeoff from Teterboro. Yeah, I'm I'm speculating based on just you know a still I saw of it rolling out. Apparently, it blew both left main tires. Oh, okay, all right. So it did lose all the tires on one. Right. Of the, yeah. Right. Okay. Or well, no, I can't say that. I, I, you know, apparently it did. Yeah. Um, the 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 left main wheel assembly looks smaller than the right main wheel assembly in the picture <laughs> okay. I saw. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, you know, obviously, you know, they're going to need you know new wheels and and new brakes and and maybe uh, some work on the strut and uh, and like that. But that's really about the only damage, and that damage was pretty much preordained. Mm-hmm. Once the tires blew, right, right, um, and apparently there was no other damage uh, uh, to the airplane, but yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just you know, it's just one of those. I love it when a plan comes together. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, I, I found it interesting that they. So they uh, again. I, this is all from reading like the first graph or the, maybe the first couple of graphs. So it took off from Teterboro. Um, I'm guessing that I guess maybe like my car, these uh, tires are all censored so that they got a warning that said they had low tire pressure, um, and uh, um, and that's how they knew they had lost a tire. Uh, I doubt that on a G4. Really? So yeah. how would they know they lost the tires? Well, they didn't lose the tires. The tires yeah. blew. Well, that's what I mean. But how, how did they know that the tires blew? I, I think somebody on the ground notified them. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, and I would I would think that a the tires blew while the airplane was still on the ground, but it was past yeah. V one. Yeah. Oh yeah, okay. So he just roughed it out and toughed and, it out. And, and some, yeah. Obviously, something happened yeah. on that takeoff. Uh, Giles, do you mind you know uh, stepping back, see if you can find anything wrong with the wing? 
Um, and oh, by the way, Tower, do you, did you see anything wrong with our takeoff? Yeah. Okay. And and I'm sure Teterboro Tower and, and everybody else in the county um, was was looking pretty closely at, at the runway. It probably found some some pieces of processed rubber on the runways. Oh, okay. maybe they lost a tire. Yeah. Okay. So they flew around sort of in the vicinity of Teterboro for a while. Um, and now that's a lousy airspace to, to do that in. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. But I, I, I got the question I'm ultimately getting at. So they flew around Teterboro. Then they decided, we're going to Barnes, which is up in central Massachusetts. Um, and then at some point they changed their mind and said, no, we're not going to Barnes. We're going to Stewart. Um, apparently because of runway length, um, and that's where they ended up at Stewart, which is back in New York on the on just on the uh, on the west side of the Hudson River, um, about uh, not quite midway up the state, a third of the way up the state, I guess. And uh, um, I, I just thought it was an interesting choice. Uh, airport. Why did they just not go back to Teterboro? I guess is my ultimate question. All right. The you last know, so. thing Teterboro wants is a disabled G four. Well, of G4 course, it's the last thing Teterboro runway. wants. But who cares what Teterboro wants? This is well, an emergency. Yeah, but it, it, there was no emergency for them to get on the ground. A. Exactly. B. They're not going to get on the ground until they get below maximum landing weight, which is why they've spent hours and hours flying around to burn off fuel to get below maximum landing weight. Mm-hmm. Second, you don't want to put the airplane down where there's no repair facility. Well, and I don't think Teterboro has a Gulfstream service center. I, I did uh, think of that one, and I figured that was one of the few legitimate reasons is to go someplace where there's... Uh, but the, uh, the, the choice of the runway, you, 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 you're going to, as Jeb correctly noted, you're going to make the probably the best landing of your career mm-hmm. but you're, you're going to approach it with a little extra speed uh, just to make sure that you, you don't get close to the, a stall and, and prang it uh, thereafter you've successfully navigated the rest of this emergency uh, and you don't want to slam on the brakes when you get on the ground. So mm-hmm. having all that excess runway to roll out on mm-hmm. is a benefit. Yeah. And there's there's maintenance there. So okay. All right. Yeah, I wouldn't say that, that anything at Teterboro is marginal for a G4, uh, but you're clearly going to have to use the brakes yeah. uh, to get stopped uh, at Teterboro uh, with a G4. Um, I think Stewart's runway, the one, the runway they used, I have to say that very slowly, um, was like 11,000, 12,000 feet long. And uh, even even I could get a G4 down and stop <laughs> on, on, on that kind of runway. Um, but, Hell, even uh, Jack could do that. Well, oh, you know, oh, oh, any okay. of us could get a G4 down yeah. and stop okay. on, on 11, 12,000 feet. Uh, right. That's two okay. miles, guys. See, I know nothing about Teterboro. The only thing I know about Teterboro is Arthur Godfrey used to operate out of Teterboro, and, and he did a song. You guys know the Arthur Godfrey Teterboro Tower song? Oh man, you not know, I, in years. A vague bell is ringing. I don't know here. I don't think I hear this. Here we go. Uh, that, that that does indeed uh, exist. No, mind you, probably I've can't hear it. it. I, I can hear it in my headphones, but you guys can't hear it. Um, it's a comedy song about Teterboro Tower and buzzing the tower, or something like that. I don't know. This Listeners, is like from the fifties, though, right? Well, probably was sixties, but yeah, I, your point is well taken. Yeah. Well, did they even have music in the sixties? Yeah. Don't... Okay. All right. I was listening to. So I was watching a YouTube video the other day of the guy who did. 
did the foam airplane. So this is one of the big stories at Oshkosh. Um, the young guy, I think, believe his name is Peter Sipril. He's a YouTuber, um, an engineer, a maker, um, a, a big in the RC world, in the drone world, but also he's an ultralight guy. And he built an ultralight, electric ultralight um, that um, he had been made somewhat famous on YouTube and then actually brought to Oshkosh. We all saw it at Oshkosh. It was kind of cool. Um, I'm watching his video, uh, some of his videos recently, and he's talking about, uh, oh, and some some listener had sent him um, a, 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 a guidebook about how to build an ultralight aircraft, all right? And he's just kind of riffing on the, on this book, and he's, when was this book published? Oh, it was published back when ultralights first came out, like back in the 60s, he said, all right? And I'm going, no, I don't think it was the 60s, you know? It's when you're, yeah, that, that's, that's a little premature, yeah. When you're, yeah, but see, when you're 20, when you're, when you're a 20-something or an early 30-something, you know, that's the that's the dark ages was the 60s when was part 103 david i I wanted to say mid 70s but i don't know that when was early 80s part 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 103 was went into effect in uh, 1982 1982 so so peter was only off by 20 years um but the the quick chronology yeah francis regalo and his wife invented the flexible wing that was the basis for hang gliders Back in the 60s as a possible recovery method for spacecraft that morphed into kites that were towed. And in the 70s, that morphed into people foot launching off of cliffs and mountains. And the magazine for the trade was called Ground Skimmer because nobody soared. You just skimmed the ground going down the hill. You just fell very slowly. Very slowly. And... Then gliders evolved, and then a guy named uh, John Moody put an engine on a glider, on a hang glider, and foot launched it in front of a crowd at Oshkosh in the mid 70s, if memory serves me. And that started the ultralight movement. Yeah. Okay, so so Peter Sipril was mistaken about sixty the ultralights in the nineteen sixties. Um, I'm going to actually stand corrected now about Arthur Godfrey and buzzing the Teterboro Tower. Um, according to Wikipedia, it was in January nineteen fifty four that Godfrey buzzed the control tower at Teterboro Airport in his DC three. It says here, I didn't know that part. Um, his certificate was suspended for six months. Godfrey claimed <laughs> the windy conditions that day required him to turn immediately after takeoff but in fact he was peeved with the tower because they would not give him the runway he requested Uh, he later recorded a satirical song about the incident called teterboro tower roughly to the to the tune of wabash cannonball i I think that that news account is wrong i think it's in error okay how's that i don't think there's anything that arthur godfrey ever expressed peevance about I don't Why? think he used such mild language. <laughs> oh, that could be true. That could be true. Uh, uh, you know, I, I see. I'm old enough that I, Arthur Godfrey was in the later stages of career when I was a kid, so I was somewhat aware of Arthur Godfrey. So he 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 channeled his inner maverick. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. Okay. So you kept trivia quiz number one for okay. this episode. Yeah. Uh, which airport is named after Arthur Godfrey? Oh. I didn't know there was one. David, do you know the answer? Yeah, I do. All right. You, the, t- you, tell, tell him. See if you're, see if Jeb thinks Le- you're Leesburg, right. Leesburg, Virginia. That's Leesburg, Virginia. And what's it called? Godfrey Field. Godfrey yeah. Field. No kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. K- God, K-J-Y-O. Very cool. Very cool. Is Le- isn't Leesburg one of the uh, DC3? 
It's got its own little special carve-out because it's uh, kind of on the yeah, cusp. It, it's not one it, of the DC-3. They, they have their own set of rules for that airport. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. There's actually something about that here in the in this, in this Wikipedia entry. It used, to, it used to be called, now it's called Leesburg Executive, uh, yeah. Executive Airport. The original it used to be Leesburg Airport, Field. Yeah. which Godfrey owned and referred uh-huh. to affectionately on his show as the Old Cow Pasture. Well, uh, pl- there used to be a plaque in the... Uh, uh, FBO at uh, Leesburg of uh, Arthur Godfrey and talking about the history of the airport and his connection to it and what he used to fly there. And mm-hmm. Anyways, all right. Well, welcome, folks, to <laughs> Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in beautiful Nottingham, New Hampshire. Um, and uh, I'm here in our virtual hangar talking to two of my very, very good friends um, about uh, weird aviation things. Um, this is a sign of things to come, all right? I, this is a day where we have a relatively short list of things to talk about, which usually means we're going to run long. And and that's already shaping up that way because we've just spent the first 10 or whatever it is, 15 minutes of this podcast talking about nothing that's on the list. We haven't even started the list yet. So that's, I don't know, a good or a bad sign, depending on, on how you look at these things. My two good friends here. One of those voices out there is uh, from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas, Dave Higdon. Hi, David. What's going on? Uh, uh, Another day in aviation. Uh, Mm -hmm. It'd be a nice day to go out and practice instrument work. Oh, is it one of those days, huh? What's it like? What's it doing? Well, it's overcast. It was uh, sprinkling a little bit earlier this morning. Not hard IMC, but uh, close enough that you could get your... You could get your spinner in the clouds and then have to do the approach. And uh, there's no better preparation for using your instrument uh, ticket for cross-country than going out on a day like today and practicing with some approaches. Yeah, exactly right. Very cool. And my other good friend here in the virtual hangar from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, is Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. What's going on with you? Uh, Pretty much all the same. Um, Another uh, day in FLA. Um, uh, yeah, getting geared up for uh, got my handyman scurrying around outside doing up to no good. Okay, but uh, uh, um, keeping an eye up. out for uh, for uh, uh, light fixture chomping alligators. Huh? Light fixture chomping alligators. That's yes. actually a story that only the rewards people heard, so I shouldn't oh, probably yeah, tease them too badly. You shouldn't tease them like that. Yeah, um, uh, but uh, uh, I was just I was just thinking. Dave was talking about. Uh, a uh, great day to get up and, and go do some for real IFR is practice. Um, I, I've, I've done that. I, I think of one trip in particular uh, from uh, Manassas down to Richmond. Shot a bunch of approaches at, at uh, Richmond. Flew back to Manassas. Had to shoot an approach to get in. And that was a great day. Mm-hmm. That was a I lot of fun. It, I yeah. bet. That sounds great. That sounds great. So this is a, uh, a notable episode uh, for us. It, it is. Uh, it turns so we're recording this episode on uh, Thursday, August twenty third, twenty eighteen, and yesterday, the twenty second, was the twelfth anniversary of the very, very first episode of this podcast that we ever recorded. Uh, way back uh, in uh, two thousand six, we recorded the first episode of Uncontrolled Airspace, and uh, and you know we'll get it right. I don't know all this. All the standard jokes apply, right? You know, we'll get it right eventually. Eventually, or, eventually, uh, you know, or. This thing won't last more than four or five episodes or, or, or you know, something like that. But, uh, you know, 
Hang in there, folks. We're not uh, done you know, yet, I guess. You, you, you left one out. What's that? It's all your fault. It is all my fault. <laughs> no, no. Absol- I, absolutely right, no, Fib. Absolutely right. The first, I, you know, maybe even the first year was my fault, all right? But after that, you guys are going to have to take some of the blame. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, I, so far, and, and not to make it sound like we're done, because we're not, but uh, it's been a fun ride. I, I was just sort of reminiscing this morning about some of the things that I, I've looked back on. And I, I didn't ask you guys to prepare, so I'm sort of putting you on the spot. But things that, that you know, sort of favorite moments, notable moments in the history of the podcast. Um, the the one, the two that came to my mind, and, and and then I'll invite you to tell yours. The two to come to my mind, first of all, um, was my favorite. Maybe I guess. I mean, we've had a lot of good episodes, but in some ways, my favorite episode ever um, was the one where Amy Laboda told us her story about ditching uh, right. in in the. Uh, in the ocean, the Caribbean, I guess it was, or the, yeah. Um, and, uh, um, a, a really, really moving story, a very, very, uh, I'm tempted to use the word courageous. I mean, it was very generous of her to share that story, which is a, a traumatic, uh, emotional experience. Um, and I know from listeners who I've spoken to over the years that, that a lot of people consider that to be a great episode and, yeah. and one that is, is educational, if you will. Um, one that is, is really, really highlights the importance of being prepared for that kind of thing. And, uh, um, and, 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 you know, a real world experience of the kind of things that can, can happen when you get yourself jammed up in an airplane. Um, so, uh, so Amy's, uh, Amy's, uh, uh, one, which I wish I could tell you the episode number, but it's called cherry bomb. You can find it if you dig through through the through, through the internets, um, the other that I really really um, look back on fondly are the two or three episodes we did um, with live audiences. Um, we, particularly uh, two that we did at Oshkosh. We did one when we did episode number one hundred, and we did another one when we did episode two hundred. Um, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun for me. Anyways, I don't know how you guys feel about it. Um, you, you guys have a different sensibility about I don't know what you know uh, uh, visibility and and and, no, and talk, I, talking before the crowds and whatnot. Yeah. But I loved doing those episodes. I remember those episodes, and I I enjoyed those episodes. Um, Absolutely. To answer your specific question, mm-hmm. um, the first time we were on the flight line on the last day of Oshkosh, or, or oh, yeah, it yeah. was the last, whatever yep. year that was, 05, yep. 06, probably 06, um, that was about as much fun as I've ever had with my pants on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was a good one. I think it was 07 because we started so in 06. We right. started in August of 06. Right. Yeah. So it would have yeah. been summer of 07. 07. Yeah. You're right. That was pretty awesome. Um, yeah. And, and that, that closing day episode is always a highlight. But the first one, you're right. Um, we were in a different, slightly different location than we've been. Right. We were um, at the radio station. The we old were, radio station. The radio station used to be right there, um, right by the Brown Arch, if anybody knows the Oshkosh grounds, um, which is uh, – and it was, it was literally the structure – closest to the runways um there was there was at the time no other structure closer to the runways and uh and it was right there at the intersection where most airplanes were taxiing up and doing their run-ups and 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 then going out into position to take off um and yeah that was pretty awesome um 
it, it petrified me by at the time. I don't know if I've ever told the story. I, I was horrified. I thought this is going to be a disaster because it was so loud. It was. I mean, it was so loud. All right. We were out there, you know, and then T-28s and, and, and T-6s and whatnot come up there and do their run-ups like not a hundred yard, not, um, I don't know, 50 was, yards, 75 I was yards. say not 50 yards. Huh? Yeah. Very, very close by these big airplanes with these monster radials are doing this run up. And we were at the time, uh, and we still do, we were wearing, um, headset mics. So our ears were covered. So we were hearing the side tone of each other talking. Um, but even with that ear protection, that noise protection, um, even with that monitor of hearing each other, when those run-ups happened, we could not hear each other talk. Um, and and I was horrified. I thought, this is going to be a disaster. This is going to be an awful episode. We're never going to hear. It's just going to be uh, 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 just hof- awful. And uh, I was very pleasantly surprised when I pulled down the audio and started listening to it, that although it was very loud, um, it, we were always able to hear um, and the energy of it all was just spectacular. Yeah, that's a cool episode. I remember it being hotter than a... It, it was hot. Well, it, it, it always is hot, yeah, yeah. Because and they didn't have a canopy there, right? Yeah, we were just out right. on that on that deck in the in the direct sunlight. Toasting. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, these well, days... I, I brought raw donuts that morning and they cooked on the deck. I bet they did. I bet they did. <laughs> they were overdone, too, I yeah. thought. So... Uh, David, do you have any particular uh, memories of, uh, of 12 years of uncontrolled airspace? Well, the, the, the one that I, I, I tend to gravitate back to as uh, uh, highly memorable is our first live on, the, on a radio station show at, at Sun and Fun in 07. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, yeah. We, when the radio station was still attached to the back of the FAA building. Yep. Uh, had that little tiny deck out there. And we've we've accepted uh, uh, our good friend Dave Schalbetter's invitation to do a live show. So we pick in the middle of the week and a two-hour slot. And then it's like, holy crap, how are we going to fill two hours? Uh, and I still remember dragging Barry Valentine off the sidewalk saying, hey, mm-hmm. quick, come up here. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, what are you doing? We're doing a podcast. What's that? Well, it's like a radio show on the Internet. It's here, sit down, and we'll, we'll ask you questions. He was so gracious. He was gracious. <laughs> he, he really was. Great. was. Yeah. 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 But my favorite moment yeah. of, of that whole day, that yeah. whole episode, yeah. was taking Jeb to a, a, a private club to which he now belongs, yeah, and, and getting ourselves adjusted to the right attitude for what we were about to commit. <laughs> okay, and walking back to the radio station and seeing Jack pacing and staring intently in the opposite direction, looking for us to come from the media center. And he turns around and goes, "Where have you been? We're on in five minutes." No, we just went to uh you've been drinking yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i was a little frantic that morning too i agree but that somehow or f- another we, we as, as we've been doing for, for 12 years now 
Uh, we we muddled through. We pulled it off, and nobody knew that we were crazy yeah, until yeah, later. Until later, um, that and, and we more than muddled through. That also was great. That and and yeah. you, you joke about it being two hours, and how are we going to fill two hours? As I recall, it, we not only filled it; it was so good that we turned it into a double episode. It was actually two one-hour episodes. Um, so uh, yeah, that was a good one too. And God bless Shelbetter. We give him a lot of a, a lot of you know grief. For various things, um, but uh, he took a chance on us back then, um, and uh, we, we appreciated it then, and we still appreciate it now. Um, who, who gives shop better grief? <laughs> well, okay, maybe it's just me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's narrow that. Yeah, let's, let's, yeah just, I just wanted to. <laughs> There's actually a Dave Schaubetter somewhat related story on the list that maybe we're going to get to here. We'll see. But uh, anyways, 12 years of uh, uncontrolled airspace. Uh, uh, it's been cool, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, and, uh, and, thank, and thanks to all our listeners that, that uh, we, we hung in with us and, and uh, uh, make it worthwhile. Yeah. And, and we owe big thanks to... Uh, uh, Mr. Shaw better for how gracious he's been over the years and and helping us break out of just being a uh, 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 an internet podcast to a radio podcast. And, I know, huh? Because that opened the door for us doing it at Oshkosh and the dailies that the radio station runs at uh, at Air Venture and uh, really helped put us on the map. Yeah, but like I was saying, I enjoyed the uh, the live audience ones too. We should do more. I mean, should we do more of that? I think that would be fun to do more. Of I'm those up for of, that. It's more it's of those a matter live of, audience. Do we do it? You know, during Oshkosh, um, do we do it? Sun and I mean, we could do both or neither. Uh, we could do a, a you know a future draft choice to be named later. Yeah. Well, but I was. It's th- a great. It's a good idea. It, well, I, we'll talk offline about something else, but go ahead. Well, yeah, okay. I, I, I'm thinking about 500. Well, but, 500 is a whole other question, but I'm thinking even sooner than 500, because 500 yeah. is probably not going to happen until not next summer, but the summer after that, I think, is, is when 500 is currently. Uh, we're talking about episode 500, folks, if you're, if you're not following. Um, but the current projection is it happens in the spring of, of 21, I think, uh, or 20. Well, that's only 40 episodes to go. Yeah, but that's at, at uh, yeah okay. So it's it's in the future. I'm talking about you know next year or even even this year. So I, I'd be curious to hear from listeners um, as to whether they would be interested in us doing live audience episode or two from like Oshkosh or 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 Sun and Fun um, and uh, and come know, up with a suggested venue or event. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just just kind of kind of if nothing else, a show of hands on Twitter uh, or or through email um, if you would be interested in attending um, a a live with a with a studio audience um, episode like, for example, at Oshkosh. I'd like to hear people's thoughts on on that subject. And uh, yeah, we'll have seating for a dozen. Yeah, right. Well, you know, yeah. And then the other question is: uh, uh, a lot of podcasts actually do a live do a live stream, like while we're doing what we're doing right now from our various hidden, you know, secret locations. Um, to that uh, is stream it live, um, so that people can listen to the unadulterate, which is probably a dangerous idea. They probably should. Yeah, Jack. Be. Jack, let's, let's talk offline about yeah. some of that. But they could. Uh, but the the thing I like, uh, and then we'll move on. The thing I like about that kind of live streaming the recording session is that then there's a chat channel, so that uh, so that listeners 
can chime in and um, and, and make suggestions and ask us questions and correct us when we're wrong, all right, and, and whatnot. So, anyways. So, here's my question. That takes all the fun out of it. Though. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, David, what's your question? <laughs> we're going to talk are, about airplanes. I promise, are, folks. Are, we're going to talk they, about airplanes any are, second Are now. they going to make ski jump aviation an Olympic event? <laughs> this is what I wanted to talk about, all right? And and this is where I was thinking about David Shelbetter. This is the kind of story that Shelbetter would bring up, okay? Because Shelbetter is the troublemaker who uh, likes from time to time to bring up this whole taking off from a moving conveyor belt foolishness, you know, or or runways that are circular kind of thing, you know, or someone else had runways that are from, could you take off from a turn, spinning record, all right? So here's I, aircraft carriers, not U.S. aircraft carriers, but aircraft carriers from other nations around the world, in this particular case, Great Britain, Aircraft carriers don't have a flat deck and catapults. They have a what's I guess what's called a ski jump deck. All right, I, I was calling it an incline deck. All right, you a guys s- both know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, a ski yeah. jump ramp. Yeah, and I don't understand the physics of this. All right, because I don't see the benefit. I don't see what it gets you. Well, first off, you have to you have to recognize that. The UK came up with this idea uh, when they were developing the Harrier uh, because they didn't want it to, to always need to do a vertical takeoff. It takes mm-hmm. more time and more fuel. Uh, but they also didn't want to have to set it up to be uh, uh, shot off a deck with, with a catapult. That involves a, a lot of structural reinforcement that was just going to make the airplane heavier. So they came up with this, how do you make a short runway longer without physically making it longer? And the answer was a ski jump ramp. So the Harrier starts farther back on the aircraft carrier, accelerates and goes up that ramp, and it's airborne. Yeah, no. Okay, That's it. So That's it. I, but, but in the process of going up the ramp, you sacrifice airspeed. Okay, I don't so, think I don't, I don't think, think they, you do. I, I well, don't no, think they it's do physics, man. Case. You have to. If you go up a hill, you're going to slow down. Not if I'm adding power. I'm still I'm accelerating. Say, I'm not saying you're. Uh, all right, hang on. I, I misspoke. You're right. I'm not saying you slow down, but I'm saying you are not going as fast as you would have been going well, if you had been on a level. Oh, okay. Okay. No, no. I'm saying you're not accelerating as much, all right? That 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 for a given thrust whether it's a catapult or whether it's the engines alone, whatever, all right? The the airspeed that you will have achieved going off the end of a flat deck is going to be higher than the airspeed you will have achieved going off the end of a ski jump deck, all right? You're going to have less airspeed at that moment, all right? And I think, and well, you're 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 mistakenly plugging in conventional aircraft into this equation, and neither the Harrier nor the uh, version of the F thirty five that they're sending out uh, on uh, this aircraft carrier, the USS Queen Elizabeth, uh, are conventional aircraft. They have vectoring thrust nozzles because they're vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. So as he's accelerating up, he's not pointing at all that thrust straight back. Some of it's pointing down. So that when he gets at the end of that, he's climbing already. Now, he may not be going as fast, but he's going fast enough to get airborne with lift. 
from the wings and the vectored thrust automatically putting him into a climb. And it saves complexity on the aircraft carrier. It saves weight on the aircraft, uh, which is a really big deal when it's coming in to land. I mean, you ever look at an F-14 or an F-A-18 when it hits the carrier deck? Uh, Those aircraft have to be built up. Their landing gear has to be built up so much heavier because of how they land. And you don't have to do that with these vertical takeoff and landing airplanes like the F-35 right. and the Harrier. Right. But, but we're not talking ramp, just... That ramp gets them airborne in a shorter distance than if they were going straight ahead. Right. But they don't use these ramps just for Harriers. They use these for more traditional aircraft. As a matter of fact, the story that we're reading from here... So we're reading from a... Uh, my favorite aviation uh, blog, um, the Old Salt blog. It's actually maritime. It's kind of a cool. If you're at all interested in maritime stuff, ships and old sailing vessels and modern stuff, um, the Old Salt blog. Um, the uh, HMS Queen Elizabeth sails for for the U.S. for first flight trials. The uh, HMS Queen Elizabeth is a new aircraft carrier built by Great Britain, um, and it's going out for sea trials. And the story says that one of the things it's doing during its sea trials is meeting up with um, some uh, F-35 jets. F-35Bs. Those are, those are like the Harrier. Those are, so they have those a vertical. Are, those uh, are vertical takeoff. Um, other countries have used ski jumps, ski jump equipped carriers to launch conventional uh, aircraft, not VTOL uh, uh, jets. Uh, Russia for one, I think Spain for another, mm-hmm. um, or uh, not not Spain per se, but uh, I think Spain built a uh, carrier for Thailand. Mm-hmm. I think some Indian carriers are, are ski jump equipped. Um, the, the ski jump thing, you know, imparts some energy, some vertical energy, um, to any airplane. Uh, in, conducting a takeoff from that, that kind of a deck. Um, it, it gives it some additional altitude. It changes the vector, if you will, of, of the energy that uh, the, uh, the aircraft is, is uh, expending and gives it a, an additional margin uh, for taking off. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, some aircraft, I think I'm looking here at, at some Wikipedia stuff, uh, a MiG-29, an SU-33, these are not uh, VTOL. Um, uh, aircraft uh, successfully using um, ski jumps. They're light and just, you know, flip side of which is, so is the F-35B and the Harrier. They're light when they uh, try to execute a vertical takeoff. Um, The ski jump, as as David correctly says, helps them carry more fuel, more armament, whatever. Uh, So yeah, I can see um, wherever VTOL jets, it would be extremely useful. Um, but it's also useful for other aircraft. Mm-hmm. I, okay, so I've actually been talking with people on social media about this for a few days, and they agree with you. Um, just about everybody says, yeah, it's better. It does and very much what you guys have just said. Um, I still am troubled by the whole thing because well, so what, I want to differ with one thing. I think it was you, Jeb, just said. All right, okay. you said impar- you used words along the lines of imparts more energy. All right, uh, it changes the vector of that energy. Exactly, it does not add any more energy to the system. All right, it tr- converts 
lateral energy or horizontal energy into vertical energy. All right. Um, and, and, and I get that more vertical energy might be a benefit. I'm just saying that at the cost of the horizontal energy, I, it just seems like there's a loss here. There's going to be a loss. You're not going to absolutely convert horizontal <laughs> yeah, to vertical. But you gain altitude. Yeah, so why don't, let's you, just make the deck gain, of the aircraft carrier you gain higher. You a different vector coming off the deck. I'm not sure about the vector thing. I, well, you know well, what? You, you've got... <laughs> okay. All right. I, <laughs> you got the same amount of energy. It's just pointed in a different direction. You're well, changing the vector. Over, yeah. You, so you've got more vertical speed is what you're saying. That's a change in vector. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I, 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 vectors I, are three-dimensional. Yeah. All right. All right. So you've got more. But you've got, so you've got more vertical speed at the cost of less horizontal speed. All right. Um, and it's not an absolute conversion. You've actually sacrificed some energy sure. in the, situ- in the sit- system as well. All right. So I, I, wouldn't I'm, you I'm get not the sure same- that they slow down on that. What's that? I, I'm, I, some, I'm not sure that going up that ramp that they lose any speed because remember they're in afterburner. They're they still accelerating. They have to. They're working to lose against. Speed. They're working against right. gravity. Gravity exacts a penalty. There has to be some yeah. loss of of inner, yeah. uh, uh, you know, some loss of energy. They may not be going as fast yeah. as if yeah. they went off the end horizontally. Yes, but if they went off the end horizontally, they'd be in the water. No, well, but they'd have more airspeed, so they wouldn't be in the water. <laughs> That's my point. All right. No, they and wouldn't be. They wouldn't be. They wouldn't have yet. enough more airspeed. Well, okay. I, Dude, they they didn't come up with this on a theory and then said, oh, I let's know just that. do it. There's I know. a lot no, of engineers and a lot of slide rule time. I, I totally accept that. This out. I totally accept that a lot of smart people have thought this through and they wouldn't be doing it on a billion dollar ship if it didn't, a multi billion dollar ship, if it wasn't a good thing. I'm just saying it makes my head hurt because I don't understand it. All right. I take and, a Tylenol. No, no, no. <laughs> I need to understand this. It just makes me crazy. All right. It's like, uh, uh, okay. Uncle Jeb's backyard ski jump. I know, huh? Tell I know. You. See? So you're, you could operate the, the debonair out of your yard if you had a ski jump. And, and, a, and a couple of Jado bottles. <laughs> The only, the only way that the debonair is going to get out of my yard is if a helicopter comes to pick it up. Okay. All right. All right. I can see where we're going with this episode. This is just... <laughs> I don't even know what to talk you, about you next. You brought it on yourself. I know. I know. I, you know what? In this next one, I'm just, I don't even know if I want to talk about oxi- the density altitude versus pressure altitude because this hurts my head too, and I can't quite understand it. Um, I can't okay. even explain the question. I. It, Hi, this is Jack. We here at Uncontrolled Airspace are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. There are two simple ways that you can contribute to this podcast. You can make a one-time, non-repeating donation by using PayPal. It doesn't need to be very much. As little as 10 or $15 is a big, big help. Or you can make an automatically repeating per-episode pledge with Patreon. With the online service Patreon.com, you can pledge as little as $1 per episode, put limits on your per-month contribution, and change or cancel your pledge at any time. For more information about how you can support this podcast in one of these ways, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. That will take you to a page with details on both these support methods. Thanks. Okay, two seven thirty sevens. I don't know why. But yeah. Okay. I, uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Which? Never mind. Never mind. No. You're talking about pre- altitude, pressure, altitude. I don't or? care. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
So what was I? Why did I put this on? So this is a story from uh, the Fear of Landing blog or website, news website. The Art of Nothing. Wait a minute. The Art of Not Hitting the Ground Too Hard. Sylvia Wrigley's Fear of Landing website. Um, the headline of the particular story is when two 737s collide. Uh, just earlier this year, I believe. This is like back in July of this year. January. Uh, January. Yeah. Wait. It says January. The story is from July. Uh, the story is from the July, but the event January. is January. Gen- All right. Well, that's six months. Oh, okay. That answers one of my questions right there. Um, so, yeah. Um, a, uh, a 737 was pushing back from the gate. Um, at, uh, is this Toronto? Yeah, Pearson Airport in Toronto, uh, was pushing back um, at the same moment that another 737 was taxiing by. um, And because the pushback aircraft had no wing walkers, all it had was a guy running the tug, apparently, uh, it pushed right back into the taxiing by airplane and uh, and hilarity ensued. Um, And, uh, um, you know... Why did did this... um why does why did what? I'm, what's the point of this article? Well, initially the point was I thought that this report had been generated in about two weeks, but I uh, didn't, I, I thought that it was a it, it, six months is still well that's not unreasonable I guess for them to generate a report in six months. Um, so uh, okay, that's nothing. Never mind. Well, and it I, was based on the preliminary, which was probably available in two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways. I, I don't know why he was pushing back. to end a trip from, to, from Cancun. I know. Well, I, I mean, it just seems like a, a, a no-brainer that you don't push back an airplane without wing walkers, just for starters. I mean, goodness gracious. So somebody's got to be out there spotting because you can't see from the tug. Um, well, well, the, one of the airplanes had pushed. The other one was being towed. Uh, no, is that the way it was? Yeah, the, the, the one with passengers. Wait a minute. No, I think it's the other way. I it think was, the airplane with passengers was taxiing past, and yeah, well, and there West, was a, a WestJet flight had just arrived from Cancun. Um, another seven thirty seven was parked at the gate, ready for towing to another location on the airport. Yeah, so it was empty passengers and flight crew on board. Right. And so he pushed back without wing walkers, without any sort of spotters, apparently, all right, um, and didn't see the airplane that was either moving or stopped out behind it and pushed the tail of the the pushback airplane right into the, I think, also the tail of the the taxiing by airplane. Um, So that seems like a bad idea, but... uh, Anyways, I thought the report had come out in like three weeks, and I was wondering how that would work, but it didn't work. Well, I I always kind of get the shakes, you know, when I'm, you know, by myself Mm -hmm. uh, and pushing my airplane back into the hangar Mm. uh, because I can't see. I can see past the nose if I crane my neck. Yeah. Um, I know various marks on the pavement uh, help me keep the airplane aligned and. and, uh, if I keep the area uh, clear, there's nothing to hit if, as long as I don't go back too far, things like that. Uh, but I'm just waiting for the day that I get some hangar rash. Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, 
knock on wood, the worst damage I ever did to an airplane was that kind of a situation. Um, pushing back, we had uh, a buddy of mine and I had gone flying in a uh, uh, Archer, as I recall. Um, this was out of Palo Alto, and uh, we had returned to Palo Alto, and we were done. And we had shut down in the. Ta- it, it, it's not a taxiway in terms of it being a busy taxi, like a parallel taxiway. It's just a taxiway among all these parking spaces, um, and the airplanes were all parked. You know how they. You know it's in two opposing rows. So you, you know, they're, they're, you know, you basically push back into this T spot on painted on the ground. Um, but because there's another row sort of backed up to it, there was space over there and there was a car parked right behind where our airplane was going to end up. All right. Um, and, and, and we certainly saw the car. So we're pushing the, the archer back out of the taxiway into the, the parking spot and, and we misjudged the the distance involved, and we actually pushed the trailing edge of the of the horizontal stabilizer into the back end of this car and uh, bent the trailing edge actually of the trim tab. Fortunately, that's all the damage that was done. Um, it was enough to be three or four hundred dollars of repair that we had to pay for. Um, but uh, it, it was just dumb. We'd, I mean, it's kind of a similar kind of thing. We weren't paying attention. We should have been looking more carefully, um, realizing that we were way closer to this vehicle than we thought we were going to be. And uh, yeah, so maybe I shouldn't give this guy in Toronto too much grief. But well, boy, no, they, well. They, 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 there must have been some real energy behind the uh, behind the uh, 737 that was pushed back because the uh, damage to the back of it looks so much worse than I expected from reading the description. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. man, inertia, kinetic energy, all right? This yeah. is, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter how fast it was going. It, it's got a lot of weight behind it so that it's not going to stop easily. But anyways, okay. Um, I have no idea which story to go to next. Pick one. I, um, curved runway? What is okay, this? Okay, see, that's the one I was avoiding. That's the one I want to talk about. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> but it's I in keeping that. with the... Uh, so it's like, right, you know, this is the uh, airline story. All, I mean, this is the round circular airport story all over again, isn't it? No, not really. Um, it's actually kind of a cool little video about an airport in the middle of nowhere. Uh, not in the U.S., I believe. It's I Indonesia. Yeah. Um, and um, in order to give them – so the runway um, is in this valley, uh, kind of hemmed in by hills, and uh, uh, with an interesting approach, it looks like, between you know, out through a, a V in the valley. Um, and, and you come and land on this runway, and although most of the runway is straight – they needed just a little bit more distance to the runway. And so the final, I don't know what, 50 yards of the runway um, uh, actually curve off at like almost ultimately 30 degree angle or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's almost like a dog leg. Yeah. And so, and it shows airplanes both landing and taking off on it where they come down and land and they roll out um, and, and they reach the end of the runway where they just kind of turn. And, uh, um, and then likewise, they take, and it's one of these in and out opposite direction kind of airports. And so they take off starting from the curve. So they're actually not aimed down the runway. They're, they're off at a 30-degree angle, and they run up the engines and do whatever they do to get the speed that they feel they need. And they start rolling, and the first thing they have to do is turn 30 degrees in order to stay on the runway and then get lined up with the, the bulk of the long Just runway. Just follow the center line stripe. I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't see any reason why this is a problem. I, it's different, but... It, well, I thought when, when I first saw this on the list, I thought it was a resurrection of this... Uh, this debate that's 
been in and out of uh, aviation since World War II over yeah, circular right. runways. Right. No, no, it's not that. But and, uh, uh, it's it's you know that, it's just that's basically been tried. It's been tested, and it's not proven out to be all that. No. Well, no. helpful long term. The the runway the runway concepts that we have now are not broken. There's no need to fix them. Yeah, no, there's no need to fix them. Right, no, circular runway, no, no need to fix them. Um, but in this partic- in the case of this particular story, this is a, you know, a necessity breeds invention, all right? And you need to land airplanes, you want to land airplanes in this remote spot, and there isn't enough distance in a straight line. Well, and so you I add saw, a curve. Yeah, I saw this on Twitter, and I responded to it. I, you know, the, the, the poster um, says it's the only world's only curved runway. Um, I'm okay. not so sure that's correct. I doubt that as well. Yeah, but well, I used to fly hang gliders into a private airstrip right. uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, and the uh, runway was, if I remember right, it was four thousand feet long, and had a dog leg bend in the middle, uh, and that was basically because it was built along the edge of of a river. So that that kept the uh, runway a, a fairly constant distance away from the, the high water mark, but the uh, important thing about it was you, you needed to really check it out before you landed there because you, uh, you couldn't always see the opposite end of the runway mm-hmm. from where you were. So if you were because coming it in, curved, yeah, because of the curve. Uh-huh. Uh, so if you were coming in and uh, this was easy for us. We were flying hang gliders from a mountain across the riverside. And uh, so we we could see the whole runway the whole way down. Uh, all you wanted to do is make sure that you uh, weren't going to meet somebody going the opposite direction where that dog leg was. Yeah. That was right. fairly easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it kind of puts me in mind of, uh, and I think most all of us have landed on a runway that wasn't wasn't flat and had a mound in the middle, and yeah. so so you can't you can't see one end from the other, right? Um, which is always a little sobering when you're about ready to start your takeoff roll, and you kind of like say, well, okay, I looked a few minutes ago and there was nobody down there. Uh, sure. Let me name the runways: Augusta, Kansas; Beaumont, Kansas. The old suburban field in uh, yeah. Maryland, yeah, Laurel, Maryland, yeah, Columbia, California is the one yeah. that I'm thinking of, um, and uh, yeah, so, um, but you know, well, that's mean, a new it, twist. The curved runway, yeah, yeah. Hey, it works. Seems like it, you know, solves the problem. It's very workable. Doesn't seem to be, you know, really unsafe in any real sense, and uh, good for them. Good for them. So, when did we start calling the Red Baron the Red Baron? Now, you brought this up. Why? Is this not the, the thing? Well, Wasn't it called the Red Baron? Didn't, didn't he come back from, you know, one of his sorties and all his pals would go, Hey, Red, how'd you do? <sighs> That's not the way it went? No. No. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know all there is to know about this, and I've, I've only really scanned this article. But this guy apparently did a, re- a literature search and, and uh, uh, some other research, and um, found tried to tried to determine the earliest um, um, mentions of of the, the the phrase Red Baron, and what he found was that 
there was basically noise level use of the word Red Baron, even though uh, um, the von Richthofen phrase was much more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't start using the, the phrase Red Baron until like 1956. Really? And it really didn't peak until the mid-60s. And, and wait a minute, Red Baron was a World War One thing. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, exactly. Wow. And there's a, there's a line, ch- line uh, chart um, about halfway down in this page that graph, uh, graphs the, the prevalence of those, those phrases in the media. Um, now, data, garbage in, garbage out. We don't, we don't know what data this guy was using. But uh, it's interesting that the, the, the wider spread use of the phrase Red Baron uh, was coincident with the Peanuts comic strip. Yeah, okay. And Snoopy um, fighting the Red Baron. And then there was the pop rock song. Right. Talking about Snoopy and the Red Baron. Curse is foiled again. Uh, right. But yeah, now you're, it, da- it, you're dating yourself a little bit there. Yeah, well, <laughs> at my age, I can afford to. Right. But the Red Baron was in use uh, during the war, but I don't think it got into print. I was talking to a, a because of this, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's now in his 90s. And his his contention is that it was a battlefield nickname, not from his colleagues, but from his opponents, because he had his own squadron. He was a cavalry captain, uh, Manfred Baron Manfred von Richthofen. Yeah, and he painted his airplane a bright red to distinguish it from the other airplanes in his squadron, and. Uh, as he started to rack up the kills, uh, the uh, Red Baron was used almost as a as a an epithet, a curse. You know that. Yeah, like, well, like Snoopy used Snoopy, it. Snoopy, curse you, Red Baron, right? Yeah. yeah. But it, we didn't have battlefield reporters uh, to the level that we have now. And, Apparently, they weren't spending a lot of time with the aviators, although those were the glory guys of World War II. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was interesting and curious that uh, von Richthofen was shot down on the same day that the uh, newspapers in Germany announced his 79th and 80th kills. Huh. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And in a time before gun cameras, they, 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 there had to be other witnesses other than yourself. Yeah, it's generally the infantry on your right. side of the of the war who right. witnessed the, the. I mean, the whole question of who and how Red Baron was shot down has also been quite a thing. Although it's apparently relatively accepted now, um, how it worked worked out. This story, this this essay, this this article, um, yeah. accepts that the bullet that killed uh, Richthofen. Uh, was fired um, by the uh, Sopwith Camel or whatever it was. Chasing oh, really? Him. Yeah. I thought they had to settle on the other one, which was it was a ground-based gunner who uh, there was had certainly made a ground-based a gunner involved, and that ground-based gunner got some hits. Uh huh. But the airplane chasing in a, I don't recall what aircraft type this was. Um, 
think it may have been a spad. May have been a spad. May have been a Sopwith count. Von you know. Richthofen was hit by one bullet. Right. And the position of the wound showed clearly that it, he'd been killed by the pilot who was diving on him uh, during a dogfight. Because yeah. he okay. got hit, he, he swerved, and continued, the Baron continued to dive and crashed into the ground. Uh, now, pop quiz number two for this episode. Okay. Okay. What popular film featured a main character that painted his Fokker D7 all black with um, two English words on, painted on the upper wing? Uh, wow, no idea. German I, German uh, um, character. Now, see, I don't know the answer, but I want to make a guess. Okay. Um, because I know, Jeb, that you are very fond of that Robert Redford movie. Um, uh-huh, no. Uh, Great Waldo Pepper, no. That's that's not eh, it? Not the right answer. Oh, okay, all right. Bad guess. All right. Okay. Uh, the answer, the, I'm not going to keep you all in suspense. The answer is the Blue Max. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. George George Pappard was the, the mm-hmm. leading character in that, and he played a, a German World War One pilot, mm-hmm. uh, and he painted his airplane D seven uh, a black, and had uh, a, an English phrase uh, painted on the top of the wing. Very interesting. Yeah. And what was the phrase? I can't repeat that in polite. <laughs> a G-rated podcast. We'll talk was, about. Well, yeah. I'll ask you in the after show. Yeah, How's that? In the after show. Yeah, right. Even then, I won't say those words. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Uh, shout outs. What do we got here? We are reaching the end of our allotted time, believe it or not. Uh, shout outs. Who's got something here? I got a quickie. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Well, our old friend uh, Craig Barnett. Yeah. Uh, proprietor and. Uh, head honcho of scheme designers which designs paint schemes for uh, aircraft livery uh he had among the thousands of aircraft flown into air venture 2018 several hundred sported a scheme designers paint job of those nine took home awards Mm. Nine scheme designers painted airplanes yeah. took it, yeah. and at the top of the list that I saw was uh, our old friend Adrian Icarn uh-huh. with his '62 P-35 Bonanza uh, was reserve grand champion customized Silver Lindy. Uh-huh. So is that the airplane that he flew around the world? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So with nine awards, I look at that as a triple hat trick for scheme designers. Oh. Yeah. And congratulations to all nine winners. Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations to all the winners, but congratulations in particular to uh, uh, Craig for having anybody, uh, yeah, the talent to get onto nine winning airplanes. Yeah. Anybody who's involved with a winning airplane at at Oshkosh deserves kudos because it it is a a fierce competition. It really is. Um, A a couple of different times back in the newspaper days, I followed judges around in order to write a story about the whole process. And one of the things that hits you every single time, and and this was true for home builds and ultralights had the same, I had the same reaction in ultralights, um, is, is that the 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 level of blemish that would just get you ruled out all right was minor all right it's amazing how 
pristine these airplanes need to be in order to even make it into the final consideration for one of these awards. I mean, it, it, the airplanes that get judged, that comes to Oshkosh and get judged, are beautiful, beautiful works of craftsmanship and art. It's just, it's really amazing. So yeah, Craig being involved with that is, is uh, he can be proud of that for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, and I think um, Icorn has won an earlier award with that airplane. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be someone else I'm thinking of. I, I know the other individual had won some awards with his V-tail, but I, I believe Icorn had, had, uh, had earned one. Uh, some years ago, but I, I just don't recall. But right. uh, yeah. certainly, certainly deserving. Anybody take a look at that airplane? I mean, he's got so much trick stuff in that. Uh, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It really is. And yeah. it is. It's it's cleaner and better and and more utilitarian. I mean, more useful, more thoughtful than even the latest uh, Cirrus interior. It's it's really cool. Yeah, congratulations to. Uh, That's it to, for me. To Adrian and to uh, Craig for good work. Good work. Well, I just wanted to to give a shout out to you two guys. Uh huh. Twelve years of this, man. I know. Huh? <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> Holy um, moly! I know. Yeah. Um, um, thanks for putting up with me. Oh, you're you're welcome. Thank you. It's uh, a shout it's, out to all of us. It's yeah. been fun, and uh, apparently we're not done because we keep talking about episode five hundred. So, uh, well, um, and, and 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 a big, big, big shout out to all the people that listen exactly. to us and encourage us and come to our little tie-down party and uh, uh, come out of crowds to uh, say hello. I I, I was never more stunned than when uh, Steve Tupper and his son, now grown, uh, walked out of a crowd to say hello because he heard my voice. I thought he was going to ask for directions or something, and it, <laughs> it, it freaked me out enough that I was ready to quit. You really were. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I've told this story, but yeah, Dave came to me after that incident happened, and he was ready to quit. Because Dave, Dave, see, everyone should understand that Dave comes from the school of investigative journalism, where a journalist needs to be somewhat anonymous, somewhat in the shadows, um, in order to do their job well. And uh, the idea that he had this visible personal persona just really freaked you out, David. I was, I was simultaneously amused and distressed i was like no dave you can't quit what are you talking about we're just getting going with this thing um but yeah you he would david you were quite quite troubled by the fact that people were recognizing you uh but uh, well my uh you got my, over that though david didn't you well my lovely late wife talked me down from that cliff and uh-huh. said look Suck it up, learn to enjoy it, because if these people are listening to you, they're getting something out of it, mm-hmm. and there's your way to give back. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah, I agree. Thank you. Thank you uh, to uh, all the listeners. And a particular thanks to uh, a number of people who have helped us uh, over the years. Yes. Um, and and and. I hate to, it's always risky to do this because you're afraid you're going to forget people. But two people I really want to say thank you to. Jeff Ward has been a tremendous friend and, and help to the podcast over the years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, we thank Jeff Ward. And uh, Jim G., um, Jim Goldman, um, has been a huge supporter to the podcast, um, both financially but more importantly um, as, a, as an advisor and as a worker. Um, he's, he's um, in the last few years, has basically taken over the uh, creation of the tie-down party. Um, 
and uh, uh, helps us a lot. Loves to do interviews. Didn't do any this year, but in past years has done a lot of interviews. So uh, uh, Jeff and Jim, thank you guys. We really, really appreciate your help and your friendship and and your and your support and 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 a bunch of other people. Um, Amy Laboda, thank uh-huh. you so much. Uh, uh, James Winbrandt, um, uh, we're, we're early supporters of the podcast and participants in the podcast, and we're hoping they'll be participants. More. Rick Reynolds. Uh, yep. Rick Reynolds has been a great friend of the podcast over the years. Uh, um, well, had some great music along with James. Yep. Yep. And uh, uh, Mike Morgan. Mike. Uh, yeah. Well, Mike is a mixed thing. Yeah. Mike Chuck, is a mixed uh, thing here. Mike does these uh, promo things that uh, I think. Well, no, you're right. Yeah. Mike's call been, them yeah. Bump, yeah. Bump, bumpers. Yeah. Bumpers. Yeah. yeah. No. Mike's been a great, great supporter yeah. of the podcast. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. Dave Becker. Charlie Becker. Dave um, Schallbetter. Dave yeah. Schallbetter, of course, who took a big chance on us way back when, and uh, hopefully it paid off for him because it sure paid off for us. Um, uh, lots of people who have helped the podcast over the years, um, and all the listeners. So yep. Yep. that's and it. As, as you say, there's a bunch of people we're forgetting. Maybe. Hopefully not, but there probably are. Anyways, fork time. We done here? Yeah, why not? Start year 13. Here we go. Lucky 13. This could be it. This could be... Well, I don't know when we finally get the hang of this. <laughs> Those two voices are my very, very good friends who have been talking to me basically uh, multiple times a month for for twelve years now. Holy moly! I don't know. There's no one in my life. How long did? No, I don't even ask you that. I, no, I was, I was going to say <laughs> yeah. something, but no, no, I, no, I, no, I no. might save that for the. Yeah, we'll save that for the after show as well. That's Jeb Burnside. Jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor, currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on? Uh, not a thing uh, for you. <laughs> since we talked last. Um, I, I, uh, I've been recreating and kind of taking uh, some time off during August, but uh, getting geared up for Are You Ready? The October Ooh. issue Ooh. of Aviation Safety. Yeah. It's Ooh. that time of year again. Now, it's not that time of year in, in Florida, uh, yeah. but well. we're starting to get towards the end of, uh, uh, of summer here. I know, huh? Um, and, uh, you know, working on an October issue just kind of puts things in perspective. It but, does. Uh, yeah. It really um, does. I got my fall calendar for uh, work. And, yeah, it, and it actually extends out. I now know what I'm doing in January where there's a concept. Oh, wow. huh? yeah. So, anyways, uh, where can people find out about what other – when you are working, uh, where, where can it be found on the Internet? <laughs> uh, on the Internet. Uh, well, AviationSafetyMagazine.com. Um, let's see. Sometimes I'm on uh, – uh, avweb.com. Sometimes I am on uh, uh, Aircraft Electronics Association's uh, uh, website in their avionics news publication. That's aea.net. Uh, AIN Online, uh, generalaviationnews.com. Uh, or you can just Google me and, uh, oh, all, the Twitter machine. Mm-hmm. I forgot Burnside J. There you go. There you go. And Dave Higdon. Dave's a uh, aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. What have you been working on, David? I'm sure you've been busy. Uh, I'm just trying to figure that out. Uh, going through my list here. Okay. For uh, for Ab Buyer coming out. Well, let's see. What's today? The 23rd. It'll be out next week, the uh, September Ab Buyer magazine. I've got a piece in there on, uh, on the... Uh, need for getting the right size aircraft and how to know when how much aircraft is too much aircraft for your operation Mm -hmm. 
It's, it's, it's a question that's come up as the market's tightened up significantly this year that uh, people are seeing some uh, uh, facing a tough time getting the airplane size that they want. So some of them are looking at some of the deals on larger aircraft saying, gee, I can get this bigger aircraft for about the same money as the one that I can't find one to buy. So why not do that? And we look at some of the reasons why not to do that, like higher operating costs, higher fuel costs, higher maintenance costs. It may not be able to get you into some of the airports that a smaller airplane would. Uh, and it's going to be a constant. It's going to be a constant uh, extra cost item to mm-hmm. do that. In the same way with going to something smaller than what you need. You may need to make more trips to accomplish the same amount of business. You may need to uh, to uh, get a second airplane sometimes because you can't carry everybody or mm-hmm. everything that you need. Mm-hmm. So right-sizing the airplane for your business operations uh not an idle exercise. Cool. And that's in uh, the which publication? That'll be in the September Av Buyer magazine. Excellent. Excellent. And where can people find out about all this stuff on the internet? Uh, www.avbuyer.com and look for the magazine link. Uh, like Jeb, you can find me regularly in Avionics News Magazine. That's www.aealphaechoalpha.net. Uh, or floating around on the Twitter machine, I'm Real Higdon. And I, I seem to have had a burst of followers in the last few months that just surprises the hell out of me. So. We try to keep up our end. Uh, that, I'm, I'm not surprised. You've been doing some good things on Twitter. So, uh, yeah. Real, real quick, in, all, in an oh yeah department, yeah. Um, also check out Av Safety Magazine uh, on Twitter. Oh, that's right. You should, we or should add a- that to Av Safety Mag. I'm sorry. Yep. Yep. That's, that's the magazine's Twitter. And we should add that to the list so that we remember to plug yeah. that every time. Because that, that's, yeah, there's some interesting things appearing there. Very good, David. Thank you. Uh, And uh, I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Uh, uh, I've got a whole bunch of aviation videos in the pipeline, and I'm really, really trying to get them moving along here. Um, I've been a bit distracted by a... uh, I'm refurbishing an old pontoon boat here at Lookout Point. Uh, The old family pontoon boat has been sitting neglected for quite some time. Is this a sailboat? (laughs) No, no, no. It's, it's your, your basic party boat. It's a, a, ah, okay. a, a pontoon boat, you know, double, double-hulled pontoon boat. Um, and, uh, and so I've been trying to get it. The problem is it, it, uh, it sprung a leak, and so one of the pontoons filled with water, and it threatened to sink. Um, and it's, this is like chemistry at work or, or, or metallurgy at work, right? Uh, years and years and years ago, my dad attached a speedometer sensor to the back of the one of the pontoons um and he did this by by uh, basically i forget clamping or screwing or bolting somehow um a, a mount to the um aluminum pontoon um uh, hull it's a, it's a sort of a skeg that goes along the bottom all right um what what he didn't think through or was unaware of was that because he used a different metal not aluminum for this little mount all right Uh-oh. Um, yeah, the metal really. that he used, and I forget if it was copper or some sort of steel, but whatever it was, it was a type of metal that um, that interacted with the aluminum in a co- sort of electrolysis sort of way, 
And over the years, it actually ate away at the skin of the pontoon and actually ate a hole in the pontoon at the very, very bottom of the pontoon. So it started leaking. Um, Sounds like a dry dock trip. Yeah, well, and it's real. That's part of the problem I've got right now. Um, if for a long time, it wasn't a big enough hole. And because the pontoons are airtight, um, a, not a lot of water was going in because it just wasn't a way for the air to get out. Um, but it seems to have gotten worse over the years. And so it was really starting to sink. And so I said, oh, I really need to deal with this. But I'm trying to figure out how to, uh, how to uh, temporarily plug it while it's in the water because it's not trivial to lift this thing out of the water. Um, um, while at the same time, how to how to pump it out because it's not a big long story but i'm working on that that's been my kind of around the house project here at lookout point um i'm still hung up on this thing the fact that you have a party boat yeah well what's wrong with that everybody has probably they're very very popular for you know i mean second only these days to kayaks um yeah it's a they call it a party boat no it's basically a big flat decked boat with a bunch of bench seats and and you go out and uh, and just go cruising and you know usually there's some adult beverage involved at least for the passengers if not the operator and uh, you know and uh, we we actually have a really interesting thing here at Lookout Point out in the middle of the lake every almost every uh, uh summer evening and sometimes in the fall and spring as well um call it the sunset fleet will form out in the middle of the lake and they'll all just be out there and sometimes they'll actually raft together they'll they'll kind of you know tie themselves together and have this big you know spur of the moment party out there um out out in the middle of the lake where you get a beautiful view of the sunset um across the hills in the distance so uh yeah party boats are very very popular and uh but ours tried to sink, so I'm working on that. Well, that's, and that's, trying, a, that's a problem. And trying to do uh, um, aviation videos. I've got the Meigs Field video that I'm trying to finish. I've got the uh, highlights from Sunday morning at Air Venture that I'm trying to finish. Um, and I still have all the video I shot at uh, at Udvar Hazi back in, the, in uh. the winter that I want to put together and to show off some of the things I saw there. So those are coming to my YouTube channel eventually. There's some things there now if you want to go check it out. Anyways, um, Let's see now. Where do you find me on the internet? Um, um, I, uh, at uh, YouTube, uh, just about everywhere, I'm Jack Hodgson. You can almost always just put my first and last name next to each other and search, and you'll find Jack Hodgson. YouTube.com slash Jack Hodgson. Twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. Uh, search for Jack Hodgson on uh, Amazon.com in the Kindle book section. Um, JackHodgson.com itself is my, uh, my home website, um, and all of that is there. So, anyways, that's me on, uh, on the internet. Uh, I think that's it. David, I think there was something you wanted to tell us. Live old by going flying, because, you know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Twelve more years. Twelve more years. (laughs) Twelve more years. (laughs) I think that's a red baron. Teterborough Tower, this is Piper 202. I'm a turning on my downwind lake, my landing's overdue. The stick is a burbling in my hand, I think I feel a stall. And a bug's caught in my petal tube, my gauges don't read at all. Now listen, Piper 202, this is Teterborough Tower. I can 
not raise the crash crew Cause it is their coffee hour You're cleared into the pattern But don't try it coming in Just circle around for sequence While I play my violin Fire! 